Um, now I'm going to only just tackle the first of those two stories. Um, I keep the second story in mind for as we go along. But the f uh, let's get into that first story, which is really short. And to do that, I wonder if you just might close your eyes. We'll just do a little bit of imagination. Okay, so in your imagination, in your mind's eye, see yourself walking along the Sea of Galilee with other disciples, and, they, uh, and there's great conversation as you go along. Jesus is ahead of you. It's not a bad day. It's quite nice, and uh, the breeze across the Sea of Galilee is feeling okay. And, there's, and uh, you see Jesus ahead, and Jesus says, everybody, follow me into the boat. And so, because it's Jesus, you're going to follow him. So, Jesus wades out a little bit and he grabs hold of uh, the side of the boat, pulls himself in, and you follow. And the water is nice and cool, and uh, you jump onto the boat and off you go. And people raise the sail and they start rowing. And they start to make their way, and you know this journey across the lake is only going to take you about an hour or two. And uh, you're getting going. It's been a very long day, and there's lots to talk about. Jesus has done a lot of things. And uh, all is good. And then really, quite suddenly, the wind starts to get up and the sea starts to swell. And you look at the guys who are the fishermen and, and they're just adjusting everything, working things out. Seems okay. Conversation continues. But this, this swell and this wind... Uh, start to come incredibly fast and the swell gets incredibly high and then waves start breaking over the boat. And it's so dramatic and so sudden. It's taken you really by surprise. So just experience that for a moment and then look in the eyes of the people who are the fishermen. You're not a fisherman. Look in the eyes of the fishermen and you start to see terror in their eyes. And you, and you start to feel panic because you know this is not good. They don't seem to know what, what to do next. And as you glance over to the back of the boat, you can see that Jesus, who got in the boat first, he is actually asleep. He is lying asleep. He seems to be totally unperturbed by this extraordinary storm that's come. And as you look at the fishermen, they have no more options. And so they, they make their way to the back of the boat with a lot of difficulty, and they wake up Jesus, and they say, Jesus, save us. They're yelling at him over the, over the wind. Save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus looks up, and he just has a question, which is, why are you so afraid, you of little faith? Seems a harsh question in the circumstances. But Jesus stands up in the boat as well as he can and he just shouts, be quiet. And really suddenly the wind dies down. The waves go down. And in you a different kind of panic arises which is, what kind of man is this? How did he do that? Okay, hold those for a few moments. 
and do open your eyes again. So we've been thinking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. If you're new here today, that's, all, that's been our subject. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' message. It means that the rule and the resources of heaven are really close to you, he says. And uh, he proclaimed that. And then he would go around demonstrating it by uh, healing the sick, which he's just been doing. He uh, healed someone of a fever, and then he healed someone of paralysis. And we get to this point uh, where... Jesus demonstrates his authority over nature, over wind and waves, over a storm. There used to be a fashion for uh, explaining away what were called the nature miracles um, because they seemed to be harder to explain away than maybe healing someone of paralysis. So there would be all kinds of desperate ex- ways of trying to explain how Jesus walked on the water, for instance, that he, he innately knew where there was a sandbar just below the water. And so Jesus would walk along just getting his ankles wet. And Peter knew where the sandbar was a little bit, but then he fell off the, the side of the sandbar and, and went underneath the waves. So there were lots of different kinds of ways of explaining it away, as if having authority over wind and waves is somehow more difficult and needs more power than healing someone with paralysis at a distance, which we thought about last week, um, or driving uh, demons out of people, which is the, the story just after this one. But what we, so I'm not sure which is more powerful, and I'm not sure what we can say about that. But what we can say is, in this particular instance, in this story, the disciples were really facing death, because because the fishermen had come to the end of their natural resources and they, they're basically saying, we are going to drown. And what you can see from this story is that following Jesus may well lead us into situations that are way beyond our capabilities and our courage. That's uh, Jesus. It's very clear that Jesus gets in the boat, boat first and, he, and the disciples follow him. And so it's a description of following Jesus into a storm. And so if you're not finding fair, somewhat regularly that similar thing that following Jesus gets you into trouble of some kind, then it's good to ask the question why. Because this, this is being presented as authentic following of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus. And sometimes it's good, if you haven't been in that situation for a long time, to put yourself in a place where if God doesn't show up, then you're toast. It's, you know, then uh, things are not going to work out. And it's good to make sure that you have gaps in your life where you have to trust that God is going to do something um, without waiting for something where you're facing death like these guys. So that's why our primary spirituality at, at Exeter Network Church is charismatic. Charismatic is a technical term, but it really means people of the Holy Spirit. People who really seek the presence of God wherever they are. People who are looking to operate in the power of God wherever they are. People who really go after the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that they're able to uh, do things beyond their natural capacities. And people in whom the fruit of the Holy Spirit is growing, love and joy and peace and that sort of thing. And particularly those things growing when things are difficult. Because the Christian life is designed to be lived on the edge. You only have to read the book of Acts to really understand that. And there is a constant temptation to pull back 
from a spirit-empowered and spirit-directed life which needs faith, which needs taking risks, which needs the ability to wield God's power in situations and do things with his authority. And much of what we're looking at uh, last week and today and the next few weeks is around operating in authority in the kingdom of God, looking at how Jesus did it and then what he distributes to us to do as well. So it's really good in our Christian lives to read the Bible, but we can retreat into reading and learning without actually doing things in the power of the Spirit. We can read about Jesus' healing, but not really have a go at it ourselves. It's really good to worship as we've been doing, but we can retreat into just uh, focusing on our feelings about worship rather than going out in the power of the Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory, as the liturgy says. And it's obviously really good to pursue justice in the world. But we can retreat into being simply fueled by anger at injustice rather than being fueled by the Holy Spirit to bring about change and transformation in the power of the Spirit. And so we can also find that we can't properly interpret Scripture without the Holy Spirit. We can't worship in truth without the Holy Spirit. We can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit. We can't love people we don't like often without the power of the Spirit, resist temptation, make sacrifices for the common good, tell others about Jesus, heal the sick, cast out demons without the Holy Spirit. So we are committed to receiving as much of the Holy Spirit as we can, operating in faith, under authority, and uh, living a confident life in the middle of all kinds of trouble. And so that's why Jesus has designed the nature of following him in everyday life will, from time to time, lead us into trouble, just as it does with these, these disciples here. He isn't the author of trouble. He doesn't put it together. He doesn't, it doesn't originate in him, but he will use it in order to help us depend on him and depend on his power. So that at least... We can cry out, as the disciples did here in this story, save us, we're going to drown. God, help us, God, help us. Or, or at our best, we approach a difficult situation filled with the Spirit and with confidence and with giftedness and authority and wielding God's power in the moment. So with this story in Matthew, the story of Jesus having authority over nature, Matthew has set up a kind of compare and contrast with last week's story about the centurion. So the centurion really trusts Jesus. He really understands authority. He gets it from the inside out. And he really understands that Jesus can heal his servant with a word at a distance. And Jesus responds by being amazed at him. And even though he's an outsider, he is presented as, um, as a role model for faith. This centurion. And in this story, the compare and contrast is the disciples have very little faith. I know they're in a very extreme situation, but it's clear that they are really wondering who Jesus actually is. That's how the, how the story ends. And therefore, they don't trust him very highly. And when Jesus wakes up, his first thing is, why are you afraid? You have little faith. It seems like a harsh question at the time. And Matthew's message, in putting these two stories together, is basically, be more centurion. Be more like him, because he is your role model. 
uh, the disciples yet have a way to go. So let's just have a look for a few moments at the nature of the trouble that in following Jesus these guys have got into. So it starts off by saying, and if you've got the Bibles open, uh, uh, Matthew 5, then uh, it's good to track along with it. It says, a furious storm came up. A furious storm came up, and it comes up really suddenly. And what the original text says in the Greek is that it's basically an earthquake in the water. It is a seismos megas. So it's a mega seismic event that's going on in the water. So the storm has arisen very suddenly. Now, there are three mega seismic events in Matthew's gospel, and they all link together. This is the first one. So the first one is Jesus dealing with the storm. But the second mega seismic event is at the death of Jesus in Matthew 27. So in Matthew 27 it says this, at the moment the curtain of the temple, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom at Jesus' death. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. So that's the second mega seismic event. It's at the death of Jesus where, where um, holy people are raised out of the tombs. I think even in that song we sang about that. And then the third mega seismic event in Matthew's gospel is inevitably at the resurrection. And again, we did sing about that one too, funnily enough. Uh, that it says in Matthew 28, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. So Matthew presents this earthquake in the sea as a kind of foreshadowing of Jesus' victory over death. It's very clear that's, that's how he's written it. And it's as if, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of almost playing it out in a way that Jesus is asleep the storm rises, and then Jesus rises, and the storm goes to sleep. It all kind of hangs together. It's a pattern of the cross and the resurrection. And the message is, Matthew's saying, Jesus may well rescue you from physical death if you are uh, facing physical death in the way that these guys were, um, unexpectedly. Jesus may well rescue from, you from that, but even if he doesn't, he has still got you. He holds you. Because Jesus' framework is from, from eternity to eternity. So Jesus looks at things just from a totally different perspective. So when he wakes up and his disciples say, we're going to drown, that's why he says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Because I'm here. And I know that I am about to conquer death on the cross and in the resurrection. So here, this mega seismic activity throws up massive wind and waves, overwhelms the boat. So these people who live on boats are afraid and feel like they're about to drown. And for the Jews, unlike the Egyptians and the Phoenicians, uh, who were seafaring people. The Jews weren't really seafaring people. So they saw the sea as a place of evil. It was threatening and wild. That was uh, generally how they looked at it. And Jesus, in the middle of absolutely threatening and wild uh, sea, 
is asleep in the boat. And it anticipates the time when he's asleep in the grave. And then he rises up and he delivers them. He rebukes the storm just as later he rebukes the power of death. And this is a kind of sneak preview of that pattern. So that's the trouble that they're in. And the second trouble really is that the trouble is exacerbated by the fact that Jesus is asleep in the middle of it for them. This is a journey that would normally take an hour or so. And so Jesus is asleep very quickly because it's been a very long day and he is totally exhausted. He's so exhausted that he's not woken up by this extraordinary storm as we've been talking about. And his disciples have to do that. And the great thing is, is that even though many of them are fishermen and Jesus is not, I mean Jesus was a builder and a carpenter as well as a rabbi, they recognize that only he can save them. They've come to the end of their natural abilities as fishermen and sailors and turned to Jesus for supernatural power. And that is the right choice in that moment. I think I've been really struck by uh, talking with a few people recently about their experiences in COVID over the last couple of years and where they have been through very difficult circumstances And they are, even though they are full of confusion and doubt, in that moment, what they do is turn to Jesus. Partly because they think, got absolutely nowhere else to go. But they found that in turning to Jesus in that moment, it's the right choice. It's the right choice. And here, even though they have little faith, the disciples, they do have, they do make the right choice in that moment to turn to Jesus. It's a bit like when Peter uh, doesn't leave Jesus when everybody else does. And, uh, and Jesus says, are you, are you leaving me too? And Peter says, well, where else am I going to go? You have the words of etern- eternal life. So they make the right choice. Now, I just want to bring in a little side question here, if that's all right. Because I want to see how this impacts us. When Jesus takes authority over wind and waves, which, you know, when, when you first read the scriptures, you think, really, did that happen? Is Jesus taking, when he takes authority over storm, is he doing that? Is he able to do that because he is God? Or is he doing it as someone, a human being filled with the Spirit? Because the subtext of that is, is that can we, as followers of Jesus, expect to have any kind of authority over nature, over water? water into wine, over weather, over food. And it's a really, I'm not going to really answer this question, but I just want to give you a few things to think about in particular. I'm not really going to answer because I'm not fully sure, to be honest. Because after all, Jesus didn't send his disciples out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, and manipulate the weather. Did he? Although, let's face it, we have all tried to do that, haven't we? Oh Lord, on that beautiful wedding day, please let the sun shine. So how many have had that prayer answered? Some. How many have had that prayer not answered? Some. Okay. So we've all had a go. And some theologians will point out that in the Old Testament, it's a mark of the sovereignty of God himself 
uh, that the seas obey him. So in Psalm 107, it says, he stilled the seas with a whisper. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, it's, I, I also don't think it's necessarily a proof of Jesus' divinity that he is the Son of God, but it is, it is demonstrating that he is a perfectly spirit-filled human being. Because Paul makes the, makes the comments later about Jesus becoming a human being. He says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he was made in human likeness. And also, as we read through Matthew chapter 8, when he heals the sick, that's a thing that he gives us to do as well. And when he casts out demons, that's a thing he gives us to do. But when he has authority over nature, is he, does he sort of slip along as a, someone filled with the Spirit, a human being filled with the Spirit? Then he goes into his godness a little bit more and then comes out as a, a Spirit-filled man a bit more and that kind of thing and moves around. But you, you can read Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. Jesus teaches with God authority. He heals with God's authority. He drives out demons with God's authority. He raises the dead with God's authority, which we'll look at in a bit. And as the Son of Man, specifically, he, he forgives sins. And in the middle of all this, he seems to demonstrate authority over nature. And it seems to be all part of a thing. This story, I think, I, I lean towards, is a record of Jesus' supernatural power, which he is able to use because he operates in God's authority. And later on, when we get to the end of the gospel, you see that Jesus says, look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says to his disciples, including you and me, therefore, go. Go in my authority. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize people in the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you to do. So, you may feel a little uncertain about this. Is it part of your mandate and mine to have some authority over nature in the way that Jesus demonstrates here? It's somewhat probably beyond most of our experience, but is it actually beyond our pay grade? Because you can see that the very human being, Peter, walks on water with Jesus' help. And there are people in this church who have told me stories of where they have multiplied food for instance, in the way that Jesus did. And those things usually seem to happen sporadically where the need really arises. And maybe, as we prayed earlier, we don't have so many needs in this part of the world and we hear more of these kinds of stories from other parts of the world where the need is greater. But it is something for you and I to think about as we grow in authority. And it may be something just to bring before the Lord and read scripture and pray and come to your own conclusion on. I'm going to leave it with you as a question to pursue. And frankly, in one sense, I'd be pleased if we grew in authority as a community to heal the sick and drive out demons before we started to have authority over the rain and the wind. So let me conclude because I think the Lord wants to help us in a couple of particular directions. So just a reminder that following Jesus from time to time will take you into trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
When we get into trouble, it's trouble with Jesus right next to you. That's where he is. So, frankly, if you follow Jesus, you'll go into trouble. If you don't follow Jesus, you'll get into trouble too. Much better to have Jesus at your side because you're following him. Secondly, a sleeping Jesus is infinitely better than no Jesus at all because a sleeping Jesus at the end of the boat is an invitation to you to go and shake him by the shoulder and say, wake up, we're going to drown, save us. It's an invitation into calling on God. And you can see that the opposite of faith, which Jesus so loves, he really, you know, as a friend of mine says, faith is the magic with God. It, uh, he, he prizes it so highly. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but fear. Why are you so afraid? And he's calling us to trust in him who is right next to us. Following Jesus involves a faith which is practical trust in everyday life, which more and more starts to drive out and exclude anxiety. It's really, it's really easy to be anxious in this world, isn't it? I'm not really speaking of anxiety as a condition, a medical condition, but just general anxiety about uh, how life is going. And, with, and Jesus wants it to be that with him right next to us, however asleep or awake he is, that, 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 uh, that we don't need to uh, draw on anxiety as a way to live because he is right there. And if you think about the people who first heard Matthew's gospel, who first heard the good news that Matthew wrote in the, in the early centuries, uh, they would have, there would have been many people at that time who had been killed, executed for their faith, being murdered for their faith. And so for them to hear that Jesus is Lord over sin, sickness, evil, death, and nature, all those things, and that he is there with you, that is going to make all the difference. And in this story also, that it foreshadows the fact that Jesus has victory over death and he has a mindset that is from eternity to eternity. So I think one thing that Jesus wants to do with us today is to help us bring our, our trouble, our situations of trouble, and just to reassert that Jesus is right there with you. That he, the king of the kingdom, and the kingdom, and the, and the kingdom of God is at hand, is right here, nearer than breathing. And the second thing is just really more of a perusal, a prayer perusal, if you like, for you. It's an invitation to consider that your authority as a believer is greater than you currently experience or possibly even believe. And to start to think about how you might enter into that. But that's just something uh, for you to take home, if you like. But why don't we stand together and uh, bring all of our trouble to Jesus and find him right next to us. Okay. So, there's a saying some people sometimes use that when they come to church, 
uh, it says, leave your troubles at the door. But we don't do that. Actually, when we come to church, we bring our troubles with us, and then we bring them to Christ. So, um, so let's just do that right now, shall we? And earlier, you imagined the wind and the waves and everything else piling up. And that sudden squall, that sudden storm, the earthquake, is your trouble, is your difficulties, whatever you're facing at the moment. So, just in your imagination, just be in that storm again. And, uh, and you know what that storm is for you. And in the middle of that storm, just notice that Jesus is asleep in the boat next to you. And Jesus being asleep next to you is the invitation to you to shake him on the shoulder and tell him what's going on. So just in your mind, uh, in prayer, just do that with the Lord. Shake him and tell him. <laughs> 